This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great, great again to, to have you here today and, and just hearing some little books. Uh, does anyone else have a favorite book and it's about Winnie the Pooh? You need to see Dan Allen afterwards. He will actually read it to you after church because he loves it so much. It's fun to hear that. And we're going to be talking about a book today. And it's a very short one. It's actually the shortest one in the Bible. It's James. Last summer, we did a short Bible study. Again, summertime is a time in church where things are a little bit slower. We can do things a little differently than maybe we normally do. And in New Church Live, we're really geared for an audience for for people who are coming for the very first time. We have some first-time people here today. And there are times where we get to carve out space and say, let's do a little bit of a deeper dive. Let's look at an actual book of the Bible. And I picked the book, James. We did the first half of it last summer. We're going to do the second half this summer. We're going to look at a book. We're going to say, okay, what does this have to tell us today? Now, a couple of interesting facts about the book of James. It's in the New Testament. The Bible's divided essentially into half. The Old Testament, which is before the birth of Christ. New Testament, which is after the birth of Christ. And and there's the four Gospels. And then there's these different books that were from the very first Christians. And they're, they're writing to each other. They're talking about, how does this all work? And listen, listen how important this is. Okay, so, so Christ kind of left this earth. That's what we celebrate in Christianity at Easter, his resurrection. And what it's really clear that Christ said is he said, look, I need to have gatherings, churches. Now, he doesn't use that word churches. He uses the word gatherings. And you and, and need to have these gatherings of people. You need to bond together in community. Look at that word community. Bond together in community so that you can live this message. Now, now we believe in the new church that, that Christ is God with skin on. So it's not that God is absent. It's just God is, is, is part of this world. He infuses everything. And he says, look, if you can try to create community, you can create a community in ways that will bring you incredible joy and purpose and meaning in your life. Not necessarily an easy life, but a very meaningful life. And I'm going to be with you there in spirit. And that's why we believe in the new church he came on earth was to show us how to do that. And those very first Christians were pursuing the same thing. Like, okay, so Christ is resurrected. We have to sort of follow that way. That's why they called it the way. How do we do that? How do we make that happen? And it's a beautiful conversation, right? You know, how does that work? Because our question for you are human institutions flawed or perfect which one of the two flawed welcome to your family you know they're flawed anything that humanity touches is beautiful and completely flawed and so inevitably as these groups try to follow the way they they have these wrestling matches where they're trying to work stuff out and folks listen carefully that work is not a sign that something wrong it's a sign that there's work to be done and and, and a great power of discovery figuring out like listen a great power of discovery as we try to figure out how exactly this all fits and it all works and this is one of the biggest lessons i think of james so we all ready to use our hands here for a minute? Are we all ready? Yeah. All right, shake out your hands for a minute. All right. Now get your two fists, have them face each other. All right. And push. I don't care right hand or left hand. Push. 
If you're pushing with your right hand, what is your left hand doing? Pushing back, right? Nobody did this, right? You know, and if you're pushing with your other hand, it's, it's, and that's what happens with churches or groups or families or businesses is we get into this and we think this is our business is to push against others. All right, now I want you to push really hard, all right? And I'm gonna say break. And what I do when I say break, you're not gonna go out and run a football play. What you're gonna do is you're gonna do this. Okay, and just feel the release there, all right? So we push, 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 break. That's today's sermon in a fistful. That's what we're gonna be talking about. Yeah, you know what, I feel like I'm, I don't know where this is for you, but I'm sure there's a place in your life where you're stuck and entangled and the more you push, the more the other person pushes back or the more you push, the more another group pushes back and you're just feeling stuck. And James is like, okay, do this. Let's get a shift. Let's figure out a new way to make that work. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. And what he starts talking about is how important actually language is with that. So I wanna read for you part of this. And, and again, James, I would, I would offer to you, you know, James is a beautiful book just to read out loud. You know, that's, this, this letter would have been written to people who were, who were not educated at all. It would have been read, and, and you sort of picture yourself, you know, as, as our community here, a new community, probably about as old as New Church Life. This is written a mere 20 years after Christ's death. And you think about him, and they've heard that James is coming. James was actually the brother of Christ who knew him really well, and he's coming, and he's going to speak to them. And this is what he says. And put yourself in that place, and you've, you've been going six years, and you're seeing some struggles. You're seeing some things that are really hard. And listen to what James has to offer about that language. And he says it strongly because he realizes that if a church remains locked up, just if you remain locked up in a relationship that's constantly about pushing and pulling, it's not going to work. So he very strongly says there has to be a different way. Take a listen to what he has to say here. We all stumble in many ways. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal or take a ship, for example. Are, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, it's a small part of the body, but it makes great bows. Consider what a great forest is set on, set on fire by a small spark. The tongue can also be a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It can corrupt the whole person, sets the whole world of his life on fire. And interesting, isn't that right? Like, listen to how he's saying, like, if you're using your, your, your language that way to really be inflammatory, literally inflammatory, what you're doing is you're setting your whole life on fire. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no one can tame the tongue. It's the restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our God and Father. And with it, we curse others who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. It's an interesting challenge he talks about here. He's saying, he's saying, look, 
our language folks can, can, can be so disruptive. Now, now I, want, I want you to notice there's something really interesting here. When you read through the subtext of this, this is obviously a group of people, and think about it for yourself. Is it, is it your family, your marriage, a particular relationship, uh, you know, a business thing, you know, a place where, where it's really struggling? And you would think that James, like James has all the credentials, right? I mean, he knew Jesus more than anybody, aside from maybe Mary. He knew Jesus really well. And so you would think if you were struggling with a problem and you knew James was coming to town and there were two of you on two different sides, how many of us would be like, James is going to vote for me? James is going to say, I'm right. You wait and see. But that's not what he does. He comes in and he's saying, like, be aware, be aware, be aware of your language. He's not offering a what? He's offering a how. This is how to have the conversation, one that he thought was very important. See, I, I think is the way he saw it is, is, is we get this, this disjunction, right? We have the practice of our faith which people celebrate on Sabbath, they celebrate on the practice of our faith. And then we have the practice of encounter. Faith and encounter. Can we all say that really loud? Faith and encounter. Can we say it one more time because I think it's really important. Faith and encounter. And oftentimes the thing is, is that we have the practice of our faith. And then we have the practice of encounter. And do they always match up? No, (laughs) no. I mean, I've heard over and over again, people talking about that's one of their biggest struggles with church is they go in and they hear this message and they they hear these, these, these pastors talk and whatever the man or the woman says is very inspiring. And then they go out in the parking lot and people are whipping each other off. You know, practice of faith, not matching with the practice of encounter. From a new church perspective, Christianity is about weaving those two together. You see how beautiful that can be? A practice of faith woven beautifully with a practice of encounter. Now, I think about it, I was watching Antiques Roadshow. Yes, I am a geek. I was watching Antiques Roach and they were talking about these old Indian blankets that they would weave together. And, and they said, you know, the, the, the Navajo, they had an interesting um, tradition, which is they'd make these beautiful blankets. And they always wove in a thread that was imperfect, a different color, maybe not quite put on the loom the right way, because they wanted to show that even in this weaving, it's imperfect. We're not talking about making it perfect. We're talking about making it together. We're talking about making it together. And that is clearly the direction that he's pointing us to. This is incredibly important to understand. You know, in ways that are very hard as a pastor to capture. Because we are constantly getting into these fights around rightness, regardless of what the scenario is. We're, we're so much into right and what our camp is. And, and here's again another third way example of Christ saying, no, I need you to do something different. This is what the new church, what what Emmanuel Swinburg says, this is why he said you need to worry about this. He said that the the key flaw, the key flaw that we all carry is being less loving. Now notice that, folks. I want you to pay attention. Look at those two words, like less loving. It doesn't say not being right. Do you see that? It's saying less loving is the core problem. 
not not being right. If we are less loving, then falsity grows, then hatred grows, and then schisms and heresy take place. In other words, churches split and divide, and we end up with heresy. In other words, we we end up with parts of church that, that just are crazy. Here's a great definition of heresy for you. Heresy is where you take one thing that the church teaches, one branch, you break off the branch and you make an ax to cut down the whole tree. That's what heresy is. You take one part, you're taking something that's true, but you're actually using it as a way to cut down all the other pieces of a church. And we need to find ways to to move into that differently, which is exactly what James is talking about here. Again, like thousands of years ago, he's saying, no, you need to figure out a different how. A different how. This is incredibly important. Look at these words by Seth Godin, where he talks about it kind of in a contemporary format, about how important it is. Tribe members often fall into a trap, a trap created by the fear of standing out and a natural avoidance to question things. And this is the language of falling into those traps. You are not wearing the proper tie. That's not how someone like us gets married. My tweets are of the proper format. Yours aren't. The way you are teaching your kids the rules is wrong. That symbol of purity isn't good enough for my family. Your version of the way things should be is a compromise. What you're not, what? You're not wearing an official jersey to the game? As soon as someone says, I'm going to have you say that P word there. As soon as someone says, I am more pious than you. They've chosen to push someone down and pious is the problem. We clearly have to make stands in life, but piousness, that's a problem. They've chosen to push someone down in order to pull themselves up, at least in feeling more secure as a member of the tribe. So his feeling was that, that look, you know, when groups, when communities form and they want to feel together, that they oftentimes start auditing behavior outside of the group and auditing new people who come in. Do they fit or not? That's kind of dangerous is what Seth Godin's, and I think it's the kind of thing James is saying here too. This might be good. I want to see if you folks can say that H word. I bet you you can't together. That might be good for the hegemony. Isn't that a confusing word? <laughs> you guys did that horribly. That was all good though. You know, hegemony, the hegemony of the tribe, but it ultimately degrades the spirit that the tribe set out to create. I think that's important, folks, to to look at that and understand that we can create a hegemony, but it's going to be at the cost of the spirit. A practice of faith divorced from a practice of encounter. And when those happen, you end up like this. These fists again. Now, does this happen in our modern life? Yes, it definitely does. This is something I pulled off of Facebook. This is a, a pastor I like, Father James Martin, and he just, he got slammed over a number of things and he had just had it. So he said, please, just if you don't like me, unfriend me. Please, please, please don't follow my stuff. And people were writing things like, you're pathetic, misleading people like that. You're supposed to defend the teachings of the Catholic Church. I'll pray for you. That's all I have to say. Whoa. You know, that's the piousness, right? This man's trying to create conversations that will give life. And yet there's a piousness here that that really is detrimental to the church moving forward. The church can't, no church, no community, Christianity cannot move forward like this. It simply can't do it. And imagine what James would see here. 
James would say these exact words. You know, it's something that all communities wrestle with. So I want to put a question out there for you. One that you can talk with with a neighbor or, to, or text into me. And it's an important question because we have to sort of get to the bottom of, yeah, why do we do this? I do it, to be totally honest. You know, why is it that we do this? The question is, what is the appeal of, hate, of hurtful words? What's the appeal for us? Like, what are we getting out of it when we use that kind of language? So what I want you to do is take 60 seconds, talk about it with a neighbor, or text an answer into me. Go. You know, some great ones. And someone made the point, like, it is interesting in our culture, you know, that we, we actually live in a culture that's able to amplify this a great deal, Right? Really able to amplify these, these kinds of things. Uh, here's some answers from our audience. To feel right. Letting someone know you're unhappy with them. Uh, release internal anger. Create, oh, this is a good one. Creating the illusion of control. Help to articulate what we see as right and wrong. To bring down those who are lesser than you. To get a reaction. I hope my kids hear that. Uh, avoid using real energy to create something. That's good. Uh, being better than another, energy, uh, fear, shows that you're hurting. It makes a barrier, a wall that makes us feel protected. And it does. It sort of makes us, this weird way, makes us feel protected. And we also do it, frankly, just to hurt the other person. So when we come back, I think you get the sense that, look, this is a real issue. It was a real issue thousands of years ago. It's a real issue today. And, and as someone said, you know, it kind of creates this disrespect makes it very hard to move anything forward. So imagine a world where that's different. As the band comes out, start to think, yeah, okay, so if, if this is what we get out of hurtful words, what would be the third way, a different way, a new way of looking at it that's, that's outside of the duality of this and maybe in some beautiful way can create the break that allows us to do this. Again, great answers there about what some of the challenges are. And, and I think one of them is, you know, what, why we, kinda, we can kind of be drawn to hurtful words is because it sets up a very easy dichotomy of us and them. Real easy to do. New Church Theology offers actually these very chilling words about what's the appeal to hurtful words. They said hurt, hurt and hatred, which go together, it creates these two things. Listen, this is kind of chilling, and it's true. It creates energy and pleasure. Energy and pleasure. We use that kind of language oftentimes. I'm speaking for myself here. You may be far further along the path than I am. We use that language because it somehow feels good. Energizing. So we have to be willing to, to say that stuff, right? You know, there is such a thing as sin out there in the world. And, and it's, it's, you don't want to make too big a deal about that, make that a huge guilt trip. And I think it's always important to come back and say, okay, yeah, we have areas where we're just missing. And this is one I would imagine almost all of us in here wrestle with. How do we find language that, that, that actually brings healing so that it's not like this, so we're not worried about the winners and the losers, who's on which side of what? Is that possible to do? Like, can we actually do that? Is that possible to offer in this world where it feels like there's so many voices and they're, they're all so fractured? I mean, 
Congress. Like, they're all so split up. Is it possible? And I think, as Christians, the answer should be yes. And we have to model that as best we can. Now, I want to show you an example of that. I'm going to come over here and talk about this window. So many of us are aware, you know, of a number of weeks ago, and we talked about it a little bit in here. Sorry, my mic's a little off there. I talked about it in here for a little bit. Uh, you know, the tragedy that happened in South Carolina where there was a prayer meeting, 10 people went to the prayer meeting. One of them was actually bent on killing these other people, a, a racist, um, and that's exactly what happened. Nine beautiful lives snuffed out. And it's, it's a tragedy, like clearly is tragic. And what happened out of this was, was, a, was a Christian response I think that's worthwhile talking about because it goes back to what we're talking about with James and goes back to language and goes back to the idea of a third way. That, that there's, there's somehow there's a way where we can, where we can flip these, these stuck points in our lives. This deals with what I'm going to talk about with a window. Now, now what happened is that these people were able to confront the young man who had murdered their loved ones. Now, he's, some of you may have seen pictures. You know, he's in shackles. He's got security guards. He's on, he's on the other side of this, and, and they're able to come up to the window, and there's a speaker between the two, and they're able to address him. They're able to say something to him. Now, just imagine, folks, if the... If the if, if you were in that situation and you were facing somebody who would really hurt a loved one or really hurt you, what would you say? What would you offer to that person? It'd be tough. It'd be tough to offer anything that wasn't vindictive, angry, and cruel. And yet, what these people showed as they stood one at a time at that window was a living example of the third way that James is talking about. And can that third way have ripples? You bet you can. I want you to take a look at this, at this clip from a New York Times article. I'm going to show you a clip from a New York Times article. Then we're actually going to hear what one of the people said while they were at the window. This is, this is beautiful, folks. This is beautiful. This is the impact that nine people in, in a very tragic situation had on an entire state of South Carolina because they spoke in a third way, a different way, a way that was, listen, please, a way that was a faith born of love, a faith born of love. And this is what the article said. Christianity played a potent role. Now, you usually don't hear that in the New York Times. Christianity played a potent role. White worshipers described themselves as pain by guilt, moved beyond measure after watching relatives of the nine victims in Charleston deliver an unexpected message, distilling the essence of Christianity at a bond hearing for the suspect. I want you to say those two words when I do. Distilling the essence of Christianity at a bond hearing for the suspect. Yeah, can we say it one more time? We forgive. We forgive. Wow. One at a time, just kept on coming up. And, and I, you know, I'm only going to play one clip for you because some of the other ones are just so heartrending. I mean, you can just hear, you just hear the broken heart 
And out, I mean, just folks, just think. Out of that broken heart came words of forgiveness. Out of that broken heart and those tears and that pain came words of forgiveness. The consensus among the state's establishment to remove the South Carolina flag came about, many civic leaders said, also because of what did not happen. There was no violent reaction which made the old antagonisms harder to summon. No swarms of outsiders flooded the state house. Instead, the small state and the small city of Charleston seemed proud of their comportment and eager to atone for the hurt. That, that's miracle. You know, I, I, heard a, I heard a podcast and they were saying, well, are miracles possible or not? That's miracle. That is clearly a miracle. That is clearly people who are taking the Christian life and, and even though these people's lives had ended, they were taking that life in its brokenness, in its imperfection, in its pain, even in its desire for vengeance and revenge and going, I'm going to choose differently because that's what Christ asked me to do. And maybe all I can do is force those words out, but I'm going to force those words out that we forgive. Because I know if, even if I have to force them out, even if I have to force out, we forgive. Something opens. Something shifts. Something changes. And we are returned to our best selves we return back to the image and likeness of God. Now I want to share with you a really short, short clip. It's just, it's an audio clip. It's very short. It's very inspiring. I want you to, to hear, hear the words of someone who's standing on the other side of that glass. And this is what they are saying to this person who had assaulted a loved one. So take a listen to this. Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof, everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived in love and their legacies will live in love. Hate won't win. So coming back over here, we talked at the beginning of the service about the spirituality of encounter. We have faith, our practices of faith. And can we have those match up with our practices of encounter? I think that's what we see here. I think that's what we see in the book of James. We see a, a shifting. We see an attempt to, 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 as best we can, live into a different world. Look at this beautiful piece of New Church theology. Well, excuse me, James, where James said, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show up by his good life, that spirituality of encounter, where they're showing their faith by what they're doing. By what they're doing. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Deeds done from humility that comes from wisdom. And it fits in so well with this next piece of new church theology. Sometimes we're armed only with words. And next, 
The only faith that can exist is faith that grows out of love of other people. That's beautiful. The only faith that exists is faith that grows out of love for other people. Even in times where that may just be incredibly hard. So when we look at that, folks, and we, and we try to understand what are the big pieces there that it's, that it's talking about and, and what all this means. I, you know, I, I was at a conference, uh, you know, last week out in Albuquerque, New Mexico with Richard Rohr and Timothy Shriver and, and, and just some beautiful people. And, and uh, one of the persons there was, was Sister Simone Campbell. Um, are any of you familiar with the, with the bus tour that was done where, where a bunch of nuns went around the country talking about how important nuns are to the Catholic faith and how women really need to have a voice? It was called Nuns on the Bus. Anybody familiar with that? It was, it was pretty funny. And, and Sister Simone is a stitch. I mean, she's one of the leaders, the real leaders in this country, in, in, in the circles of spirituality. And, I, you know, I was talking to her. And she, she has a great sense of humor. says very wise things and is very funny. And, and so she had on her necklace, she had a little bus on her necklace. And, and so I asked her about it. She said, well, you know what? There's nuns on the bus. This is the bus on the nun. That's good. That's good. And then, you know, and, and then she said this, then she said this, listen to this. I mean, this is a woman who knows heartbreak. Like she's trying to work for justice for people and she's, she's trying to live her faith and it's, it's hard. It's like that window, it's hard to do. And she said, you know, this is what I look, this is what I look to when I get that life is really hard. I, I think about a stained glass window and think of a beautiful church stained glass window. Put that in your mind. And listen to this, listen to this wisdom, folks. She said, Stained glass, when you think about it, all it is is broken glass. Is that good? All it is is broken glass, but it's put together beautifully. And that's how she sort of came to, came to hold life in that way. And then she kept on using the fists. She kept on doing this. Both times I talked to her, she did it several times. She said, you know, we, we, get, we get locked into this stuff and there is no solution here because the harder you push, the harder the other side pushes back. The harder you push, the harder the other side pushes back. James knew that. That's why he's saying this. That's why he's saying like, use different language. Learn to be gentle. Learn actually what the spirituality of encounter looks like. Don't get all caught with it. I'm going to come here and judge. I just want to really call you to task on learning how to do it well. And she said, what we need to do is this, is we need to constantly, we need to constantly speak to the vision. I take a note on that, by the way. If you're stuck, take a note on that. We need to speak to the vision. If you're in a marriage and all you're worried about is what you're fighting about, have the conversation about what you are fighting for. If you're in a church and some people are driving you absolutely nuts, have a conversation. Not about what you're fighting about, what you are fighting for. If you're struggling with one of your children and it just feels like, ah, every time I push, they push back, it just isn't working. It's, it's just going downhill so fast. Have a conversation where you move away from what you are fighting about and you talk about what you are fighting for. 
See, there's power in that. There's power when we can go to the gift of love that's out there and then we can continue that practice of encounter. The only way, folks, I think those people could have stood at that window is that they knew what they were fighting for. They knew what they'd lost. They knew the heartbreak. There's no way around it. There's, There's no way to paint that as a pretty picture. No way. But they didn't lose track of what they were fighting for. And you think about how many people, folks, in seeing them do that, thought maybe Christianity does have something to offer this world. Maybe there is something to this Christ guy. Maybe there is something to this ancient faith that can help us, that can help us, and we so, 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 so need it, that can help us navigate our lives today. So let's go out this week thinking about that. Thinking about when we get stuck, how do we do it? You know, and maybe, don't do this while you're driving, but, but maybe right before a difficult conversation, just go, okay, Lord, Lord, help me remember, help me remember. Do it 10 times where no one else can see you. And you'll get it. New life. New life. Abundant life. Joy purpose, meaning, resilience, Christianity, what it's all about. Bless you folks this week. I'd ask you now to join me in prayer. I'm going to say a prayer, then you have an opportunity to say your own prayer or a a silent prayer or the Lord's prayer as you know it. And to do this, we're, we're going to close with why can't we be friends? Which, which there's the lyrics, sing it loud. So I'd ask us all to stand up. We're gonna pray standing up and then we're gonna go out of church singing. So please stand up. Lord, help us remember the simple lesson of hands. The simple lesson, Lord, of moving away from what we are fighting about to what we are fighting for. Understanding, Lord, that your way is not to be found in being right. Your way is to be found in being loving and that that is the faith that actually counts. A faith born of our hearts, stirred in our hearts. Even, Lord, hearts that are broken. Hearts that are dark with despair and worry and concern. Understandably so. Let all those hearts, Lord, feel your healing. Feel your turning us outward. Feel you reminding us what are we actually fighting for in this world. And Lord, allow as those fists move away from clashing and move away from being side by side to actually eventually weave together. Those hands to weave together in prayer. Where our life becomes a prayer just as those people in South Carolina, where our life becomes a prayer. Not a prayer of revenge or retribution, but a prayer of healing. A prayer of love. A prayer that allows space for the other and breath. And Lord, we close as we always do with gratitude to you. 
Gratitude for the gifts you have given. Gratitude for our community here at New Church Live. Gratitude for those who are joining us online. Gratitude for Christianity. Gratitude for the world as a whole. Let us breathe into that blessing of gratitude. And stir in our mind that courageous conversation. A conversation. Clear, strong, and brave. It tells us, in ways maybe even beyond words, this, this is what we are fighting for. Community, love, purpose, making a difference in this world as best we can. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.